Hi everyone and welcome to Fandom's Culture and Perhaps a Few Murders. I am your Chief Science Officer Al and with me is Communications Specialist Feline. Meow. And Chief of Security Spade. Live long and prosper. Today's topic is pettiness throughout history. Spade, engage. A reviled figure in Chinese history is Zhang Xinjiang, known as the Yellow Tiger. A reported 90% of the Sichuan province populace perished. He regularly cut the heads and hands of those he executed just so he could keep count of how many he killed that day. Mm. Once he fell ill and promised the gods that if he were to recover, that he'd offer to them two heavenly candles. Nobody in his entourage knew what he meant by that, but surely he was about to answer that question. When he regained health, he ordered his men to gather as many women as they could. Upon completion, they removed all of their captives' feet and split them into two piles. Then he would cut off the feet of his favorite concubine and put one foot each on both of those piles and then set them ablaze. That was his offering. Wait, it was his concubines? His favorite concubine Get the is the one he topped it off with. That's your favorite woman to tap. What are you doing? He really, really just hated feet, I guess. Good lord. I mean, I have a problem with feet. I have a problem with feet. Nobody can touch my feet. I'm not touching nobody's feet. When I have a significant other in the bed with me, his feet can't touch mine. Like, no. <laughs> like, I have a thing about feet, but I would never go as far as to cut feet off. That's a little bit too much. I don't know what or why his reasoning was to cut off their feet specifically, but feet definitely wasn't the only things that he cut off. Like I said, he also cut off heads and hands, too. So really, it was just about decapitation. Well, specifically, if he's offering it as an offering, a heavenly candle, if that's what he called it, to the gods, maybe actually he really liked their feet and thought the gods would like feet. I don't know. Like some weird fucking, I cut off what I like of people as an offering because I like it and think it should be worthwhile. I haven't gone too far into, you know, what his possible fetishes are, but there was nothing that I came across that suggested that he had a limb preference but i mean if <laughs> you also picked your favorite bitches maybe he thought their feet were nice and that's why he cut off his favorite one's feet and put it at the top for the gods the feet of his favorite concubine said to be tiny feet it would have been like the run the time when they did the binding for the feet i'm thinking that depending on how many concubines he actually had i don't know if size was much of a indicator for what he decided to offer. Maybe he was just grateful that he became healthy again. So, and most of the time that people have to be on their feet in order to perform labor and such. So maybe it's something like offering those of his empire, his citizens, something that they would need to have to get around would mean more than like say hands. But what do the gods need feet for? Well, one, the gods didn't need two heavenly candles made of flesh but yet this is what he offered but that's what I'm saying it's whatever his interpretation was seem made it to him a good offering something in his mind must have yeah but we're talking about somebody who went around here cutting off people's limbs just to keep count about how many people he killed in a day I don't think there was really much thought like really good deep meaningful thought behind this I think he just went with yeah this is what I cut off because then I can still keep my subjects they can still do work for me they can't and keep your... I don't know how they're going to do it, but they're going to work. 
<laughs> that bitch was fucking with a nub. Not for nothing, but I, when he mentioned a heavenly candle, I, I can clearly feel from a monarch species, the monarch of that time, it was definitely going to involve people. What I thought was going to happen was they're going to take people and dip them into hot candles and make them tall versions of candles and then set them on fire as far as a heavenly candle thing because I expect yeah. some Caligula type level shit to come from when motherfuckers do shit like that so like that was why I initially thought the whole hodgepodge mixed bag of potluck body parts was not where I thought this was going yeah I was definitely thinking like a whole human candle especially since he started mentioning favorite concubines in a way you could almost see that being like you know she's so beautiful I'll turn her into a living doll type shit but a candle especially I... as an offering to like the gods but I mean I wouldn't have done one of my concubines but I get what's supposed to be meant as a tribute but still well she doesn't need to stand she only needs to be on her back That's right? horrible or on her knees in the different positions plus there's you know fabric and shit you could use to uplift the body there's, there's options it seems options. so inelegant though it does for like a godly offering calling it a heavenly candle it seems so inelegant I feel, especially if you're giving up something you've clearly defiled you stuck your dick in that so like and that's something you want to give to the heavens i just sat there and like just me thinking as a terrible horrible monarch ruler dictator whatever i'd go and get a fresh brand new woman that hasn't been soiled because there are them out there waiting to be bought and it would have been fresh it would have been an, an earnest and honest you know giving to the sacrificial candle and stuff like that even if you only kept, only cut off that bitch's foot and never defiled her had her as a trophy piece she, you could take a piece of her for years before you know keep up keep up the praises going to whatever higher being you're doing it for you know that'd be fucked <laughs> yeah, it would be fucked but i feel like just taking off her, like you, you stuck your dick in it and you think it's good enough to be sent to the gods i as a god i wouldn't want something that somebody stuck their dick in he said heavenly candle, so I assume that it was going to be people anyway. It's just, <laughs> yeah. what form was it going to take? That was the question. Yeah. That was fun. All right. My first pick is Mozart's disdain for a particular singer and his personal brand of pettiness. I'm going to massacre this name, so I apologize in advance. Cosi Fantut translates to All Women Do It or The School for Lovers is an opera buffa, which is a comedic opera. This is a two-act play Amadeus Mozart wrote songs for. There are two rumors about this play. One was that it was composed at the behest of Emperor Joseph II and that Mozart's contemporary Antonio Salieri tried to set the libretto for it but left it unfinished. Now, getting to the petty part. According to records, Mozart disliked the prima donna, and I'm going to massacre this name and I apologize, Adriana Ferrarisi del Bene mistress to the writer of the opera Lorenzo de Ponte. She was also his mistress and he created that part specifically for her. She had a particular idiosyncratic tendency to drop her chin low on notes and throw her head back on high notes. So as a fuck this uppity bitch move, Mozart filled her showpiece aria, cum scoglio, with constant leaps from low to high back to low in order to make her head bob like a chicken on stage. The opera was only performed less than 10 noted times due to both the subject matter of the opera being kind of taboo at the time and the death of Emperor Joseph II and the allotted time necessary for mourning. 
So he purposely wrote a song so that this bitch could bob like a chicken doing her quintessential song in the play or in the opera. I, I like that level of petty because she had to perform it again like at least 10 times looking like a bobbing chicken and he got to sit in the back while playing the music for it laughing his ass off at her. I've got to admire that because he now had a whole audience of her bobbing and I think that's fucking hilarious. And it's not easy to write a last, you know, song. So to do it with a specific goal in mind like that and to actually make it work because in your head if you're thinking just like low high low high back and forth it's just not going to sound very musical but i'm sure he did it in a way that actually made it still sound like a song right i mean it was successful enough to go for at least 10 shows even though it was considered risque for its theme at the time he taylor made it for her yes just to be it as like to have the patience for that though because create clearly creating music is not a fucking easy thing and to do it at a time where you're creating unique shit not played off other people's shit not you know revamping or taking cuts and clips and samples and shit from other people's shit you are creating history when it comes to these songs and to sit there and go through the effort of however long it took him to make it just to make a bitch look stupid on stage mwah I love the level of like focus in this pettiness. I love it. Plus, it feels like the earlier on in history, even though, yes, creating music is still going to be hard and it takes a lot of time, especially the form of music that he was composing, that it's easier in a way that you existed centuries before people actually started sampling anything, you know? Jean Bedel Vocasa saw himself as an emperor as he brought himself a crown and a huge palace after he became ruler of the Central African Republic. Now, he had mandated that school kids wear an expensive uniform that they could only buy from a company that was owned by one of his many, 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 many wives. <laughs> of course, they protested against this because, you know, it was expensive, most likely out of all their ranges anyway. And so... What he did as punishment for those who didn't, he imprisoned hundreds of kids, starting from ages eight and on. Afterward, not only did he throw them in jail, he would go in and beat a lot of them to death with his bare hands. Get the fuck out of here. I didn't have that much time. Or that much hatred for kids, apparently. Because you're talking about hundreds of kids. Wouldn't your hands hurt? Shit. Hundreds of kids. Just because... They weren't either spending the money to buy those uniforms from his wife's company, which was the only outfitter for them anyway. So it's not like they had other choices. They, you know, a school uniform had to be bought, and the only one selling them was his wife. Also, like, I thought it was going to be like he would hold their kids hostage until they gave, bought the uniform. Which, if you would call that at all, a bit more humane than what he did. Wouldn't it be more smarter to go after the parents, the people with the fucking money instead of kids? Which then drives me to what I was saying before is he must have like a personal hatred for just kids. Oh yeah, no, he has a problem with children, absolutely. But like, he said hundreds of kids. That's a lot yeah. of kids. I don't have the patience to deal with one, let alone beat down on one, let alone like hundreds. That's a lot of arm stamina. He must have like quagmire because you know he like he'll, he'll work with one arm for a while until that one gets tired. Don't have to use the other one. The other one's going to be just a little bit weaker. Because it isn't as strong. So just beating on kids with the same arm. The motherfucker looked like Quagmire when he found out about the internet porn. 
Remember that shit? Yep. He came walking out of his house. He's like, I'm just going to get the mail. And the arm looked like fucking. <laughs> like... It looks like Hugh Jackman's arm for working out for Deadpool 3. Yeah. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's arm when he was doing fucking, what was it? The Strong Man of the World Challenge or whatever it was before he became an actor. That competition he did. Was oh, it yeah, Mr. Mr. Universe? Mr. Yeah, Mr. Universe. That's what it was. All veiny and shit, just pulsating. <laughs> he must have, like, had to have split up the time a little bit you know what i mean he might like, oh, he not might. to sound awful but i feel like i could beat three kids to death in one day you know what i mean but that's a lot <laughs> i feel like he had to slot out time for it like he set it up like a portion of his day he'd be like i can't wait to get to that school and beat them kids to death <laughs> like he had to a lot this shit as part of his day he would let his stress out on these kids i would probably figure that it depends on how long he was ruling and how long he was imprisoning kids because he probably realistically divvied up how many kids he was going to beat. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't do a crazy amount in one day. Right. But kids are also small because we're talking about like eight years old and so. So really all he had to do was just keep hitting them in the face but I mean, until still you know, they were knocked out. I mean, and he could have used, you know, he could wrap something around his hand if he wanted to. Who knows? I didn't read into exactly how he beat on these kids, but you know, <laughs> The, the numbers are there. He imprisoned hundreds and beat quite a few of them. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's fucked. All right, my next choice is long-lasting rivalry of brothers Adolf and Rudolf Dassler that still lasts to this day. German-born Rudolf, born in 1898, and his brother Adolf, born 1900, founded a shoe manufacturing company, Gebruger Dassler Schuhfabrik, or Gata for short, in 1919. Despite the political climate in Germany at the time, the company was successful and their shoes were even worn by people like Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics. During World War II, Rudolph was drafted into the German army. The factory was converted to a weapons factory, and once Rudolph got back and the war was over, it was converted back to a shoe factory. According to writings, there was always a bit of tension between the brothers and apparently their misses who couldn't stand each other all while they were all forced to live together in the same villa. What had apparently tipped the scale, so to speak, was when one night during an Allied bombing raid, the two couples, minus Adolf, were hiding in a bomb shelter. When Adolf came down to join them, he mentioned something along the lines of, here comes the bloody bastards again, referencing the Allied bombers. But Rudolph and his missus took it personally, thinking he was talking about them, and you couldn't tell any of them anything else. After the bombing was over, they dissolved the company, with Rudolph and Adolf taking the Gato workforces to make their own respective companies. Adolf preferred an emphasis on product development and had a high support from the original Gata crew. It ended up with two-thirds of the original workforce, naming his company Adi, A-D-I. Rudolph, having a more sales-oriented approach, took his one-third of the workforce and kept the factory on Wurzburger Street, where the original factory was, and named his company Ruda, R-U-D-A. In the following decades, both shoe companies rose to dominance and signed deals with athletes such as Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and the Brazilian national football team. Though going by new names, the respective sibling rivalry has been carried on, professionally speaking, for decades. Those company names are Puma and Adidas. So both of these companies were created because one couldn't stand the other, probably being backed by his missus. Like, yo, you don't need this motherfucker. He's talking shit. And he come down when we taking bombs and everything's high tension and talking shit. He needs to go. 
might be rivals, but if you think about it, as a family, they own like 50% of the world's shoe wear. Right. I mean, Adidas and Puma are both huge in their respective regions and or sports that they have contracts with. So it was a really, it, they both win ultimately in terms of who's going to make more money than the other. I would feel like the only competition now, if you were going to do something modern in terms of uh, sensibility is, uh, I got locked down more contracts than you. Right. I was, I'm sitting here thinking, but these companies wouldn't have became who they were if not for their petty sibling rivalry between the two of them. And then all I sit here and wonder is, is like, do they have like ancestry history, you know, like the Clampets and the, and the, and the hillbillies or whatever, you know, like they pass down the hatred and the annoyance to each other where like the CEOs traditionally get together and show each other fucking stats and numbers and shit to try to outdo each other. The Hatfields and the McCoys. Yes. There you go. Because it could be some shit like that, and they just like pull down the feud, and every year they're obligated to sit there and show each other numbers and yeah, 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 type shit. I mean, they might have some sort of internal competition, because I don't know if the brothers both still live, but the basis of competition was very strong, obviously, coming from a place of spite and pettiness to begin with. And then it evolved into a more, I'd say, proper type of competition and rivalry with business figures and such and exposure and just make it legit but like how many companies out there can sit there and say that they their founders were created out of pettiness the foundation of the of their company is built off of pettiness and i love it (laughs) i think it's hilarious in the 13th century genghis khan sent a caravan to establish a trade route with ancient central asian empire Khwarezmia. You've probably never heard of this empire, and let me explain why. Those in charge got the idea to destroy the caravan and kill those present in it. Word reached back to Khan, and so he went off to lay waste to all of that empire. The total destruction took three years. All ages were killed, with pregnant women's unborn fetuses ripped out and killed for assurance. The Mongols were ordered to kill all livestock, cats, dogs, and inhabitants of its city, Nishapur. It destroyed everyone and everything within a thousand mile radius. The idea that he would kill a lady and take out the fetus and then like kill the fetus too, just to make sure, as if like there was any doubt. Like, no, this is full decimation. We're scorching the earth with this shit. Genghis Khan was not somebody to fuck with, period. Like, period, dot, period, dot, period, dot, period, period, period. Like, there's no, like, Genghis Khan was a fucking force. You didn't fuck with him. When he sent an envoy of peace to you, you do not destroy that envoy, ever. Like, you wouldn't destroy the envoy, period, as a show of respect, period. You wouldn't do it at all. Like, if a different kingdom did it to you, you weren't to do that, because you were clearly going to be setting up for an all-out war, because you were showing them disrespect. What you're supposed to do is bring the courier in, give them hospitality, give them a yes or no, and send them back safely. So that you knew, that they knew, like, listen, we're not trying to fuck with you. Because scorched earth shit can happen. And that's exactly what he did. He scorched the fucking earth. Took him off the map. Yeah, literally. He wiped out generations. All in the, this manner of three years. I'm sure that motherfucker tried to sit there and destroy, like, any type of, like, mention of their history or anything like that. 
burning paperwork, scrolls, information, whatever language they spoke. Like, he's that type of motherfucker. Before I came across this article, I can say that I recall hearing that among the Asian empires. So he did achieve wiping them off the map and or the writings of history, except for those who were able to still account for it. And the thing is, he legitimately wanted to establish trade with them. He wasn't looking for war, from where you know, from what I understand as I read it. So they seemed to have made the obviously now really big mistake of poking the hornet's nest because they probably thought because they were this long-standing Asian empire that he can't do anything to overtake us. I mean, there's definitely a lot of pride for you to do some shit like that. But, like, now, y'all don't even exist no more. <laughs> it reminds me of the Comanche Indians. When they would do raids, they would kill everybody. Women with babies, women with pregnancy, all that shit. And the only people who would survive were the children aged 8 to about 12. Within that range is when they would keep anybody alive. Everybody else had to go because they didn't want to travel with no babies. They didn't travel with no pregnant ladies. And they're young enough to be conscribed or conscripted into their ways and then forced to be slaves or whatever for their for their people. So Comanche Indies used to do that shit when they would do on raids. They would scorch the earth too. But like I feel like this is like you had mentioned the, the wasp thing. I saw a video where somebody had taken one of those plastic, like super thin plastic see-through cups, see cups that you get like the hospital's office to drink water from got one of those and just bop trapped a wasp but it was at the edge of a small little cement ledge and i'm sitting here thinking what the fuck is you gonna do now because wasps remember faces <laughs> they also have the ability to call other motherfuckers with them you can't put your hand underneath that shit the motherfucker will sting you from underneath so what the fuck is you gonna do the moment you lift that thing is gonna come for you and call for more of its peoples to come and destroy as much of you as possible and they will they do that repeated sting. Yes, the fact that, like, they're just walking murder bees who recognize people's faces and remember them. That is the most fuck shit ever. Animals smaller than a certain size don't have good memory, don't have good things. It's mostly just eat, fuck, survive, you know? And this motherfucker is eat, fuck him up. Eat, fuck mm -hmm. him up. Eat, fuck him up. Remember this dude, fuck him up. Like, you don't do shit like that. You should have left it alone, sent back the emissary, and now you have the hornet's nest on you. You're dumb. You're just dumb. I would like to share a story of one time. I was riding a bike down, like, a bike trail, and, like, six feet away from me, I saw these, like, huge red hornet-looking things. I don't know exactly what they were, but they looked like something I didn't want no part of. <laughs> but I'm still like more than six feet away. I'm like, I'm just riding my bike. I'm not near them. I'm not doing anything. I'm fine. But as soon as like I entered, I guess their view. Their airspace. They started making a beeline for me and I started pedaling harder. I'm like, what the fuck? Why? <laughs> <laughs> they said, we got air rights here, motherfucker. Where you from? What colors you run? Yo! It's on site. What, what hive do you come from? <laughs> yeah, for real? They say what business you run inside do your business. Let me see what, what your set is. Oh, because you know, I'm thinking they're really big cousins, the murder hornets. And those things are like the size of hummingbirds in terms of thickness. 
Yeah. Oh my god, like, I've seen some of them, and they just look. The one this person caught in the cup was like half, was a little bit more than half of the cup's mouth size, which is big for a fucking buzzing thing. I would like to throw in before we move away from petty things. <laughs> Just how funny I think it is that for China, like, the character Winnie the Pooh is just completely banned just because one of the leaders didn't like a comparison made to him I think with Winnie the Pooh. And now it's, like, contraband, essentially. Yo, it's a thing on the internet. There's this um, Asian rap artist, singer. He works with other Asian ethnicities as well, and I don't know what his uh, base nationality is. But he did a song, said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it's making fun of the the president or the whatever it is in China that doesn't like the Winnie the Pooh comparison. He talks shit about him throughout the whole song. And instead of uh, Winnie the Pooh characters, they don't want to get sued or anything like that. <laughs> or he doesn't want to get arrested. They use a panda instead of the music video. It's fucking mm-hmm. hilarious. His name is Namawee, N-A-M-A-W-E-E online and he he works with another um asian artist a female and they it's the song is called i'm so sorry and it's so funny because they make fun of him the whole time and it's it's dumb because <laughs> then because now like all winnie the pooh properties are expelled from there all because he's in his feelings which is so funny because it's just like a little yellow cartoon bear cartoon character you know what i mean it's like the most inoffensive thing but it's so funny it's like people getting mad at paddington bear like no it's just it's an adorable bear. Why are you mad? That's because he's wearing a raincoat. No, I can't have it. <laughs> he can't be more stylish than me. Fuck that. Am I the asshole? Let's go. So ex-wife, new co-worker, dog. Co-worker. All right. Am I the asshole for being cold to a newish co-worker? I, 29 male, am a super social guy at work. We used to have really cold, unwelcoming office and my team, four of us all together, were brought on to improve morale, so I'm not saying that to brag, it's literally part of my job description. Organizing events, fielding complaints, relationship dynamics, just generally making sure everyone is comfortable and happy. I'd like to say I'm pretty darn well liked and haven't seen any evidence to the contrary yet, and this has spilled over into my life in general, and I'm one of those always smiling types overall. The reason I said this is because my colleagues have recently asked if I have a problem with our newest daughter, 31 female. She works in sales and is a little quiet, most likely because she's new, but ostensibly nice from what I hear. I've got nothing against her personally, per se, but she's allegedly mentioned to my team, not to me, that she doesn't get invited to outside of work events, non-official functions, parties, dinners, etc. She's looped into all official events, events, of course or invited out to lunch at all and spends all the time alone in and around the office. I admit to giving her a wide berth, but that is just because during her first week before we'd been introduced, I was getting into the elevator and someone noticed someone had dropped a key card in the lobby. I recognized her face and approached her at her desk. And when I got to our floor, she looked apprehensive about me approaching. So I slapped on a smile and went to speak to her. All I got out was an excuse me, but I think before she interrupted with what sounded like a prepared speech about how she wants to keep work and personal life separate and didn't wish to engage unless it was work related. I didn't say anything and just placed her card on the desk and left it at that. She approached me at lunch that day to apologize and said she thought I was asking her out, but did so in front of a crowd of people to whom I then had to explain myself. Overall, she made me uncomfortable and feel guilty for being friendly, so I tend to follow her rules and only send her emails and group threads. 
but seeing as I am something of a social hub in inside and out of work, this has apparently had a knock-on effect of others kind of distancing themselves too. So am I the asshole for following her rules of engagement? No. I feel like, granted, it could be because I am the way I am, which for the most part isn't super nice, but personally, if my first interaction with you, you know, first impressions and all, I feel like I probably can't get along with you or I don't think I'd like you. I'm just not going to engage. I'm not going to put in the effort. I'm not going to like outright bully you until you give me a reason, but I'm going to leave you be. And I like being left be in return. And especially if like your first interaction is something really awkward when, or like unnecessarily awkward and it paints you in a bad light for nothing at all. I'd be like, okay. And on top of that, she did outright say she doesn't want to engage. So. Yeah, just acquiesce to that request. She doesn't want to engage, but she can't also sit there and say that she feels excluded when she was the one who set the rules. Also, granted, as a female, I understand how guys can frequently without realizing it, do something that's a little funny just because you are female and they're interacting with a female. That I can get. But given that same mindset, and especially in like an office-type workspace, I do get his need to be conscientious of his standing as a male at work and protecting himself from anything that could be misconstrued if he is genuinely 100% not doing anything wrong. In my opinion, if like, sticking to what she said is absolutely fine. Um, I don't think he's the asshole. I think that since he said it's practically his job, part of his job description, to make sure that everybody's comfortable and happy, what should have happened after she came back to apologize was invite her to sit down with him and have a chat about what happened and what his role is there to make sure that everybody's cool and copacetic and shit like that and ask her how she wants to be approached and talked to in the future when it comes to having a role that he described himself as literally part of his job to improve morale you're going to be dealing with different types of personalities and one of them will be somebody who's shy but what wants to be invited to things to feel like they belong regardless of whether or not she was feeling nervous about the initial confrontation you need to have that type of experience with people like that. So he should have had a sit-down conversation with her, whether or not it was in, in front of other people so she felt comfortable, or at her office or at her desk because she felt like it was she'd be more comfortable there. There should have been a conversation about how she would like to be approached and invited to things in the future going forward. How friendly would you like for me to be with you? Just to make sure that there are boundaries set that everybody can understand and appreciate. Because everybody has their own set of boundaries and you as a person that have knowledge and space in that brain to be able to keep track of everybody you interact, especially since this person says that it's part of their job description. So I feel like there should have been a conversation there about both of them setting boundaries and what boundaries she likes. All right, you didn't want me to approach you like I did the day before because you assumed you might have been coming for you for a date. No one understand I have a significant other of a certain amount of time because at the bottom of the post, the person says they have been with someone for four years. They just work in a different department of the same company. With that in mind, just be like, listen, I have a significant other of a certain amount of years and blah, blah, blah. So please do not fear that from me. 
I would like for us to keep on a social standard at this level. And if you're uncomfortable with that, I'll just stick to only emails. But, you know, I'm a social butterfly here. So some people just kind of follow the lead how I go. If they see how I treat you in a certain manner, people will pick up and keep on that. Because that's just how people are. People are watchful creatures. But if I sit there and see someone who's a social butterfly treat you in a certain way, and it's to keep and keep in space away. It's clear that you don't want to be socially interactive. I'm not going to do that. So I understand where the other people are coming from. So if it's that his job, he should have been like, all right, so how would you like this conversation to go forward? When we do stuff, how would you like to be invited? Do you want to only be notified via email? Do you want to be part of the group chats? Do you want to be part of this? Do you want to be part of that? Do you want to be included in the potluck? Shit like that. That being his job, I can see that perspective. I'm just definitely like... I can tell pretty immediately if I talk to a person, if they rub me the wrong way, I'm not going to engage with them. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm so absolutely well, offhanded too. So I feel for me, because her first thing, when he's, I feel like if I approach somebody for the first time and they come out of nowhere with this accusation, let's call it, or assumption of me trying to do way more than I actually am that's gonna rub me wrong and I feel like I'm not gonna want to talk to you I so, understand that that's me I'm more of a like I need to like settle this now like no that's not how this works I have somebody I'm not looking for nobody it's about your card you left it in the office peace and that's it and then I won't hold any grudges because for me I just know how to not talk to that person now I like solving issues and not having to have to worry about shit after. In this corner of the universe, Deadpool 3 is in pre-production currently, and while promoting Star Trek Picard Season 3, Patrick Stewart reveals that he has been told to stand by about a possible return as Charles Xavier in that film. Did you see that Jimmy Choo is working with uh, Sailor Moon to put out new expensive-ass shoes? I saw a preview on it because Jimmy Choo didn't release it, but the Sailor Moon website had it, the Japanese website, and mm -hmm. they just look like the same shoes that the Sailor Scouts wear and some new purses at extremely cost prices. I can go on Etsy or Alibaba or AliExpress and get, <laughs> and get shoes that are going to be well-made by cosplay artists that are going to be making them. So I think it's ridiculous to pay like $2,500 for a pair of shoes just to have them look like Sailor Moon. I mean, if you're down for that, absolutely, by all means. If you have the income for it, by all means, don't make yourself poor out of it. But they're shoes. Even the clutches don't even look that good. And it's like $1,400. No. It's a name. Right. It's I was hoping I'm... for like a stylized version of these shoes, not the same exact shoes that they're wearing. Make it look a little something different. I've seen a chick who does like cosplay on Instagram, and she made... She bought like some thrift store shoes and she made her own Beauty and the Beast inspired shoes. She painted them like Belle's yellow color, but she specifically like put a clear plastic casing around the heel to make it like a wedge heel where it looks like the glass container with the rose inside, the enchanted rose. And she did like a stained glass mural depicting Belle and Beast dancing and it's like she bought the shoes from the thrift store the materials are like art materials but it looks like something you think uh, would be a high-end fashion designer's product 
like an ultimate Disney file would probably spend the money to buy that. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like in regards to what Al was saying, like, if you're going to have a legit high-end designer do it, it shouldn't be a one-for-one -one copy. It should be, like, that... Unique. Unique, inspired interpretation where you make it very fancy. The internet is going crazy for them in, like, both the way that they shouldn't be as well as people want to make fun of. Those shoes are going for, like, an expensive-ass fucking thing. And, like, people are really like, yo, I need to buy these shoes. They look like some Mega Man Astro Boy shoes. Yo, people are selling the Mario shoes for the new movie, and it had me fucking dying. People were like, these are going crazy. They're selling out. They have pink. They're like Minnie Mouse-esque pink stilettos. They remind me of the big old pink Barbie shoes you used to force on the dolls. They look horrendous. Saw X has wrapped filming this past week. The director is hoping to be able to go with that title because this chapter goes back to the series roots and those who love John Kramer's saga. The film is scheduled to hit theaters October 27th. I feel like Saw is turning into Front of Destination, those movies. Like, there's got to be, there's got to be an end to it somewhere, somehow, sometime, soon. John Leguizamo revealed that his favorite villain to play was the clown in Spawn. He says it was challenging and freeing to play the character and to push it to the extremes. He would love to make a cameo in the upcoming reboot if he's given a chance. He also said he was close to playing Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming until Michael Keaton had came back to take the role. Rose Byrne says that she's excited about the return of the Lambert family in Insidious Fear of the Dark. The new film will explore how the family copes with the events of 10 years earlier in the first film as they're astral projecting son Dalton heads off to college. It's scheduled to hit theaters July 7th. Lastly, a new book from a former sheriff covering a late Colorado investigator using his notes from his family had shed some new light on the Jean Benet Ramsey case. We know that for years the police had an umbrella of suspicion around her parents. However, the investigator had documents that were early on in the investigation that were never made public until now. The DNA evidence recovered from under her fingernails and clothes were not a match for members of her family or even those close to the case, and this was taken just weeks after the crime was committed. This detective came out of retirement to look into the case at the request of the Boulder County DA at the time. Detective Smith had a copy of the January 1997 results and may be the only unredacted copy in possession by anyone outside of law enforcement. He arrived to the conclusion and argued that it's likely that it was an intruder, but citing his frustrations with the police insisting that it was the parents, he ended up quitting in 1998, 19 months after coming aboard to take the case. He said that the case itself told him that the parents were innocent and that no one is bothering to look for the real suspect in a tell-all book written by the former sheriff who got this information from him and his family after the detective had passed away back in 2010, sheds light on not any member of the family was a suspect DNA-wise. And this also follows after one of the detectives who were involved in that case, who's still with the force, by the way, but has recently as November of 2022 had been 
bumped down to night shift duty because of an audit that was done that found that he failed to further investigate other cases he was working on. So it makes it look rather sketchy or you're looking for the easiest scapegoat to get out from under what became the very public microscope for this particular case. TV shows have sat there for a really long time and inflated successful solving crime rates, like ridiculously inflated them to the point where people believe that they solve more cases than they really do when a lot of the times it's just relying on eyewitnesses and if nobody else comes forward the shit goes dead. If they don't have any more information, there's nothing else they can do. They can't manifest shit out of the air. But if they decide to focus on one thing without going, without widening their scope or anything, they found that only the people they're trying to help out, but everybody else that they can't help because they're failing to help other people while they're focusing on this one thing. I feel like it's easier to try to inflate numbers when there are smaller cases and such. But when it's a big one, it's a lot harder for them to try to pad those numbers because there's such spotlight and scrutiny off of every piece of evidence that gets seen. Right. I had seen that story online that you were talking about that John Linguizamo was going to be the vulture. And he was about to do it too until, you know, like you said, he came back. And then they would like the studio was like, please, please, please just drop the role and we'll get so we can give it to him. I was like, damn, I feel like I could have liked John Linguizamo as the vulture. Now, who's he again? I'm I have a hard time picturing the face. I'm not good with names, but I can remember a face. Uh, the chop shop owner from John Wick, the Hispanic chop shop yeah, owner yeah, who punched yeah, who punched the Russian dude. Yeah, him. That word just said Luigi from the Mario movie. The only yeah, live action Mario movie. She young. I didn't know if she was that movie. <laughs> I've seen a glimpse. (laughs) (laughs) See, she ain't seen a movie, so she didn't really understand significance. No, no, no. I was. She definitely knows at least when, at least the face, because she said she's good with faces to an extent. I'm good with faces. See, I want that Bowser spiky twist hair. (laughs) (laughs) That shit was popular back then. Cisco had the same color fucking hair. But I was really gonna say like um, John John Leguizamo from Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. Yeah, she didn't watch that either. Yeah, no, that, that would have been too deep of a cut. And I, <laughs> she definitely wouldn't have got that. I know you would have, though, too. You're just the biggest movie buffer, bigger. I like John Leguizamo as a character. I absolutely want him in every, anything and everything. He's such an underrated actor, and he deserves much more kudos. Just excellent kudos. He has good comedic timing. Every role that he's in, he kills. He steals the show. Like You absolutely believed every moment that he was probably afraid for his life. When John Wick was there asking about his car, and he sat there and was pouring the best Don Q, the best fucking liquor, like, yo, if I'm going to go, it's going to be by my good shit. And he's like, you going to kill me, John? Like, yo. I believed him. The fear that he had when he punched that boy, he's like, yo, I'm not afraid of your father. I'm more afraid of John Wick right now. And the fact that, that like, he, like, the level of respect that he held for John while also having that conversation with Vigo's father was so good. And he's like, it was uh, John Wick's car, sir. He goes, oh, and then just hangs up the phone because nothing <laughs> else needed to be said. Absolutely. That wraps it up for this week's episode. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. If you like the show, please follow us on your preferred platform. You can leave us questions and comments or shoot us an email at fandomsculturemurder at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Feline. 
I'm Al. And this is Spade. See you next time. Bye, y'all. Stay safe. It's crazy out there. Appreciate y'all listening. Out.